0: Hi, I'm Dr. Verdian from Dental Lounge. Would you like to increase your success, whether it be personal success or career success? Studies have proven that enhancing your smile can enhance your quality of life in every way. I've seen hundreds of patients for porcelain veneers and smile makeovers with amazing results. Simply tap the banner and book your free consultation and I'll be happy to show you. And best of all, ask about our interest-free payment plans. Dental Lounge Macquarie Street. Create success with your smile.
1: Welcome to, for fuck's sake, the only podcast at the moment for Melbourne Victory fans. I am Jason. I am joined by Dave. Hello, Dave. Hello, Jason. How's things? Good, mate. How was your weekend? I heard um, off air you were telling me you had another big weekend of dumping consumption.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I've got to stop this addiction, mate. It's uh, it's, it's, uh, killing my waistline.
1: (laughs) Uh, So what we've got, we've got a little big show today. We're the FFA Cup champions, so we're going to chat about that. Uh, We're going to chat, we'll do the member of the week as per usual as well, uh, we'll preview Sydney away And we also have a guest So this week we do have a guest after last week's Baron run We've got a guy who As I said we're pretty We, we said this on social media We're pretty um, excited to have this guy on He was there at the, uh, the birth of, of Melbourne Victory And he's going to tell us a little bit about The, uh, the history of Melbourne Victory Tony Ising, welcome
3: uh, thank you very much. Great to be here, and uh, you know the birth of Melbourne Victory uh, was a, a great time in our history. But it seems as though I was the one that was left with the placenta at the end of it. So.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, Jeff Lord's taken all your um, all your sunshine as well. So we'll, we'll chat about that a bit later on because we've done the the history of the South and the history of the North End. So we're pretty excited to actually do the history of the club as a whole and discuss some of the things about why the Victory's worked and why other clubs haven't worked and so forth. Uh, this week, the music theme. I unfortunately, I'm usually the one who chooses the music theme. This week, uh, I was I gave I gave <laughs> the uh, the duty to Dave, and what'd you come up with, Dave?
2: Uh, we're going to go for sort of '90s era indie pop. Um, hopefully, there's a, a few selections out there that uh, get people excited. There's actually a thread on the lounge that uh, I kind of made as a as a reference point to this sort of music. So I hope you enjoy it.
1: All right, let's get on with it. This is for Buck's sake. for Vuxake Sake is brought to you by Ambrosia Floral Designs. They are proud to support for Buck's Sake. They're located in Telemarine. Ambrosia specializes in functions, corporate events, and weddings. Or if it's a bunch of flowers or special arrangements that you're after, then Ambrosia will tailor your, to your taste and budget. They will also deliver to anywhere in the Melbourne metro area. Uh, they're open Tuesdays to Fridays from 9 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. and Sun- Saturday from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Get down there at uh, 15 Assembly Drive, Telemarine. You can contact them at 9338 3609. Or, uh, or look at them online at ambrosiafoldrescience.com. We're moving into the FFA Cup match, which is Melbourne versus Perth Glory. Lots of talking points. We won't talk about the crowd just yet, because that's obviously one of the biggest talking points. We'll talk about the match. And Dave, uh, two weeks ago I said, I gave you the, the dubious honour of being member of the week. But credit where credit's due. Last week you said Mark Warren at right back would be a problem. Left back, left, left back, my yeah. mistake. <laughs> Mark Warren at left back would be a problem. And sure enough, he was pretty much to blame for both goals. Yeah. What were your impressions on the match? Well well done, firstly. Oh, look, on... and
2: I also said we'd go in with the exact same
1: starting lineup, which I believe you, you did. did. Uh, uh, so is, are you like Nostradamus now or something?
2: Oh, I like to keep an eye on uh, Kev's... Squad selections and uh, you know try and keep track of everything every week. So yeah, I was pretty happy with that. Um, and look to to quickly move on to the game. Look, it was almost a mirror image of the game against Wellington earlier in the week. Uh, we dom- dominated from the outset, and in many respects, uh, we're unlucky to not be further in front. Um, yeah, so it was complete contrast to the semi-final result. Um, when it came down to it, the the 3-0 against Hume, you know, the scoreline perhaps flattered us. But I'd say on this occasion, the 2-0 scoreline actually
1: flattered Perth somewhat. Yeah, it was that of domination. What do you think of it, Tony? Mm-hmm. Oh, I think that
3: Melbourne victory at their best are as good as we've seen in the A-League. I think you, you look at the, the teams that Ange produced in Brisbane when Thomas Broich was at his absolute best, and and they're probably the high watermark for the, the quality of the league. But at the moment, I mean, Kevin Muscat has got this team on another level to the rest of the league. On their day, they're as good as anybody we've seen. And Perth were outclassed, uh, but there's no disgrace in that. I think they won't be the only team that's going to be outclassed by Melbourne Victory this season. Um, and in stark contrast, the A-League game on the Friday night between Sydney and Brisbane... Who, <sighs> what a stinker. But both of those teams occupying one and two on the ladder. Um, I would suggest on Melbourne Victory's form that Brisbane and Sydney won't be one and two for much longer. I think Melbourne Victory at this stage... Uh, are, I mean, if you're a betting man, you just can't go past him for the title. It was a terrific performance.
1: Yeah, I agree. As, as I said last week, I think we're just building up to, towards where we should be. You know, come right the right end of the season, I think we'll get there. Uh, there's a few concerns. I think Kalfallah. I think the opposition have worked him out. I think he's yeah. very predictable. Um, obviously, far and away, he was on another planet last year. But uh, this, the, the first few games of the season, looks to be a little bit predictable.
2: He was a complete unknown entity last last yeah. season. So. It, it's now very much the fact that you know, he won the victory medal. People have basically cottoned on to how good he is.
3: Uh, it's a very funny you mentioned that I sent the exact same text message to a friend of mine during the Wellington game mm-hmm. saying, so, yeah. I think defences have figured Calfalar out. And as soon as I've pressed send, he's just sidestepped the defender, <laughs> <running> forward, <laughs> hit the byline, and got across him. Yeah. So, I mean, at, like, he, he's got s- such a bag of tricks that just yeah. when you think you've got him figured out, you know, one or two touches of magic and he'll unlock a defence and he'll create the chances for us to score. So you know, don't be writing Kalfala off just yet.
2: Yeah. yeah, and I guess when you consider both sides attacking sides with Barbarouss and, and Kalfalla, um clearly Barbarouss is the guy just playing out of his skin at the moment. So um, not everyone can be in superb form at the same time. And perhaps it's a case of defences being a bit more wary of calfalla given his... Uh, exploits last season, and that's led led to other players uh, stepping
1: up. Speaking of superb form, though, Costa um he's, he's obviously in form. Won the uh, the Mark Verduca medal. I think it's you know, it was probably fitting that um, Mark Verduca didn't present his own medal because I think it's a bit lame to present your own medal. Joseph Skoko presented it to him. <laughs> uh, what were your impressions on Costa's? I guess his start to the season as well as the actual game. Um, cause he, he was kind of the um, the link-up man. He created a lot of chances for us. He
2: really is. The, the quintessential form player when he is on song and 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 just capturing everything that comes his way. Um, and as I sort of mentioned last week, he draws defenders and midfielders away, um, which in turn creates those opportunities.
3: Uh, it's interesting you mentioned that uh, there's a player in our forward line that draws players. I mean, yeah. you look at Barisha, you've got a double team Barisha. You've got Cuffola, you've got a double team kafala You've got Barisha, you've got a double. I mean. There, there are not enough players on the opposition team mm. to handle the threat of Moe and Vitry. And you, you're in a midfield now, and you've got uh, Finkler with Bezanic, and then Valerian behind. I mean, yep. it's, there's just no weakness in that. In, in the, the first two-thirds of the field, it, it's as good... Uh, a starting lineup as the A League has ever seen collectively, and, and putting put that in behind. And you know, Gary's playing out of his skin at the moment. He's doing a great job. You look at the defensive side. You have Del Pierre who's one of the best defenders the league has ever seen. If you're an opposition coach, you just you just mark down Bowen Victory as an L in, yeah. in the column. I mean, it's and it's...
2: probably the only team that wouldn't do that is a team that perhaps has a bit more defensive structure to it, like Sydney FC, who we come up against this week. And we're missing a few players, obviously. We'll talk about that later. But they're the kind of team that will lock down a bit better than other teams. Oh, look, S- Sydney are always a chance
3: against Melbourne victory, but it's never pretty. I mean, I, I can't mm. remember too many times, and I think you've got a-, a whole section coming up later in the program where you discuss your favourite um, Melbourne versus Sydney matchups. Now, there's not too many games where Sydney have entertained and beaten Melbourne victory.
2: Very true.
1: So... Yeah, we're FFA Cup champions now, you're calling it a treble, I'm not really calling it a treble, I think we have to win. Well
2: look, let's summarise it another way then, and and look, there's been a lot of debate on social media as to whether this is a treble or not, I don't really give a shit, but um, we're the current holders of all the possible trophies that we could possibly get our hands on, and that's Mm. an amazing achievement, Uh, I think we should actually take time at some point, maybe not now, but step back and realise that this is actually pretty momentous.
1: I'm just wondering, what does it take to be a treble? Do we need the tie and air cup in there as well? <laughs> <laughs> well, we were, we were treble holders when we won the, uh, the prestigious pre-season cup going back to, what, 2009? Maybe 2008? Yeah, one of those years. Yeah. Yeah. It might think, be actually the first championship we won, we won pre
4: I think couples. one of
3: my funniest tweets I saw this week was one the day after the win. Someone wrote, 14 hours without a trophy with the game <laughs> <on between." laughs>
1: What were your guys' impressions, I guess, on the whole day? So, FFA Cup... It seemed to me we were trying a little bit too hard to emulate the FA FA Cup in Wembley. So they've got even, they even had those little uh, those little banners up on floating around yep. the outside things that that you saw in Wembley last year, as well as the uh, the grandstand the grandstand presentation afterwards. What were your impressions? Maybe are we trying to get our own identity here, or are we just trying to rip off overseas? It,
2: it's an interesting question. Um, straight off the bat, what I think is clearly they look to the English FA Cup as the the template for how how successful or you know what what kind of um, romance to bring that word in nice and early. Oh, yeah. Where we're trying to go for, um, we, we clearly don't have the same uh, geography and the same sort of history that can really capture that. So a lot of this is being doctored. We've yeah. covered off on this and and how it's kind of not organic in the way it's flowed, but. I don't have any particular issues with how things were uh, presented on match day, but I have some issues on some other stuff that happened on match day. Like what? Go on. Ah, oh, well, let's just talk about ticketing. Could we uh, segue into the ticketing? No, we're well, not, not. Just get. I'll,
1: I'll get to that because that's um, that's something for another segment. Before we finish off on this, I just wanted to to guys get, get your views on. What it felt like in the stands when you actually when we won the cup is it I, I spoke to a Wigan <clears throat> fans today. He so said it was a bit like the uh, the kissing your sister cup. It just didn't feel like. Okay, a...
2: that's that's an interesting take. First of all, I'll say um, was it just me or were those offside calls really late? Because I celebrated both of those like an absolute madman. So the did everyone <laughs> around me. <laughs> yeah, and um, it just felt as though those, those calls, the flag going up, were just extremely late. Um, either that or I was smashed. Uh, It could be one of those two things. But um, uh, as for how it felt, no, it felt like a cup win to me. Um, Maybe it came down to the the people that I was around and, you know, how how much we were having fun on the night. It was a really great night in the South End. Big ups to all the... uh, People that were there that night, uh, in particular the ledge crew, they uh, came up with some uh, pretty awesome material on the night, some great chants.
4: I
1: heard Darrell Braithwaite's horses as it's uh, taking off in the south end. It's
2: one of the most unlikely uh, football terrace anthems you could possibly hear, but uh, old Braithwaite's getting a massive run at the moment.
1: And what do you think, Tony? I, I think from my point of view, uh, the FFA Cup to me didn't feel like a cup win, but I feel like maybe in 20 or 30 years' time of this competition is still going then perhaps it's got the esteem where you think, oh, we actually won one of these you know, going back 30 years ago. Perhaps that's a way to look at it. Look, I, th- I think the first thing is I'm a bit concerned about your mate that goes around patching your sister. <laughs> <laughs> that's the first thing straight away. I'll fans. actually say that by by saying he was actually from Sunbury, so... Yeah, well,
2: that explains everything.
1: Yeah. But I think just going back to your point about the contrived nature of the cup, I,
3: I, it's, it's interesting. The FFA are in a, a difficult position. It's one of those damned if you do, damned if you mm. don't situations. I do think, look, I'm not coming on your show to, to just go around potting everything and everyone. No, but don't, I, please I, go ahead and be loved. It's a podcast, isn't it? <laughs> um, I, I do think that there are times, and I've got history with the FFA, everybody knows, that they're just, they're a little bit lazy, I think, in some instances, and they, they take direction, I think, from a number of people that perhaps have too big a sway and too big a pull I think, yeah, they get direction from too few people um, and the whole notion of copying the, FFA, the FA Cup in England for the FFA Cup, I, I believe the greatest strength of the A-League is its Australian-ness. Mm. Yeah, whenever yeah. people come to me and talk about promotion and relegation, and, and I was quite vocal last year against a Simon Hill article arguing about promotion and relegation, whenever anyone wants to bring in overseas notions of football that supersede what we are bringing in ourselves, I get a little bit defensive, I get a little right. bit you know, angry about it. Um, and I do think that the FFA Cup is a, is a, another symptom of not letting our own culture, from a football perspective, flow and trying to impose an overseas culture. I, I've got great now I've got great sympathy for the migrant communities that came over here and built their own clubs who now claim, and and look, I'll have arguments with them as well, (laughs) no doubt, but the people that feel like they've been shunned by the FFA saying they don't want ethnics in the game and all all those sorts of catch cries we hear, I get upset when we try and impose an English culture on these because that's just as ethnic as far as I'm concerned. So I'd like to see the FFA Cup be an Australian competition um, with an Australian flavour, not an English flavour. In saying that, though... Part of the history of this cup, and you know, when I'm talking about history, I'm talking about all two years of it, <laughs> but it was conceived, my belief is, to build a bridge between new yep, football and right. old soccer. Yep. So I think when you look at the, the final of the FFA Cup, you need to bring to it the understanding that when it comes to the final time, it's Melbourne victory versus Perth glory. Is A-League team versus A-League team in what is essentially an A-League venue. Bleak and that's magic Luther of a
2: NSL team in some respect. Look, well,
3: look, the FFA won't let you say that. No. <laughs> but, but if you look at it, by the time you get to the final, it's another A-League contest with an A-League winner, with an A-League runner-up. And a lot of people are critical of the FFA for contriving the draw so that there's a state league team in the final four. Now, you look at the the final, there's actually great justification for them to rig the draw so that there is that interest up to semi-final stage. If they didn't, and all the state league teams are out in the first round, then there is no magic of the cup. So so I I believe it's it's a competition that's still growing. We're going to feel our way. I'd like the FFA to be brave enough, and, and this goes with every decision they make, be brave enough to let Australian football be the focus don't try and impose something from overseas in a formula that's might have been successful over a century in the UK. That,
2: that's a terrific insight. The only point that I'll sort of pick at that that overall statement is whether or not you know we should have a, you know, state league teams up to certain levels. I think you have to do it naturally in some way. If you looked way. at it,
1: though, one out of 17 so far have actually beaten an A-league team. That was Western Sydney who lost to Adelaide. So yeah, right, yeah, that's without right, without that, it's just a it's just an alien competition.
2: But I guess if you consider the scale of clubs in uh, sorry to have to look to England for a comparison, but you know if you consider the scale between our clubs and the hundreds upon hundreds of clubs that would participate in the FA Cup overseas, it's a little bit more difficult logistically as well to, to consider. So yeah, uh, look, absolutely, we need our own flavour though. Look, uh oh, oh. If you look at any
3: competition, the World Cup, the European Cup, or, you know, the Asian Cup, all the groups are contrived. I mean, there are seedings they're based on True, rankings yep. and all sorts of things. So so I've got not that big a problem with you know, the, the almost a sort of seeding system for the FFA Cup to ensure that you've got that. If you don't, you don't have the magic of the Cup beyond week one. So I, I think it's something that will build and grow. Um, but again, in terms of the actual match day um, delivery, in terms of... You know, getting up in the grandstands to collect the cup and that sort of thing. I mean, look, try things, but don't feel like you're bound by the UK. You know, mm-hmm. don't 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 feel like we need to be a copy
1: of the FA Cup. Uh, yeah. The FA Cup. I agree. So I think for now, it's it's not perfect, but at least it's something we've been crying out for it for, for years and years, and so I guess it's here. And at um, least we want it. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> right. yeah exactly right. <laughs> we'll roll straight into member of the week now. Let's uh, let's get to it. Yeah. What do you do? You know. Um...
4: When the moon hits your eye like a bigger pizza pie, that's Memajuracovica. Put it the back of the neck. When the world seems to shine like you've had too much wine, that's a more. We Jurakovic.
1: made a point of not talking about the crowd in the whole uh, in the whole first uh, segment. I'll be honest and say I didn't go this match and purely because of the fact, well actually there was two facts. I guess I didn't sleep for the last six Saturdays in a row so I knew, (laughs) knowing my own lack of self-discipline that if I went out and had one beer it turned into 40 beers and then it turned out to be me at 6pm on Sunday saying I actually have to get ready for work tomorrow and that never really goes well. But another reason was obviously the price, $40 I feel like for a game that still doesn't have much esteem, um, wasn't something I was willing to pay at, at that point. Uh, now I'm not a fair-weather fan. I've gone to to Japan to see Asian Champions League. I go um, interstate to see the, the team play. I'm not a person who's a stickler of money or someone who doesn't go to games because they can't feel like it. Don't, they don't feel like it. It's truly because I was taking a bit of a stand, and I think $40 was too much. And then a slap in the face to victory fans was the the message sent around to Victory fans on Saturday morning saying the tickets are now thirty dollars as a minimum. Now that's a that's a minimum. As a maximum I think we we're looking category A was maybe eight dollars. So I think we have to yeah. give the member of the week to the FFA this week just for their lack of
2: now some Yeah, and you know when we started this segment I thought, you know, well there'll be some weeks where we struggle to fill this space, but people could just keep People yeah, so, just keep on rolling on up and, you know... Including um, you. Giving us Yeah, including myself. <laughs> giving Giving us, yeah, usually me, giving us um, ample opportunity to um, pay tribute to them. Now, I actually said in the last episode that, you know, oh, $40 is a reasonable amount to pay. It's a cup final and all of that. Um, and I completely um, turn you know, turned my position on its head there because... Not so much because I don't think $40 was enough to pay. It's just, as you said, a complete insult to the people who actually did go out and buy the ticket prior to match day. And then, you know, to pay not only the extra $10 per ticket, but also the $6 uh, ticket tech fee on top. No longer... You don't have the uh, ability anymore to print your own ticket at home, which adds that $6. Now, I had to buy two lots of tickets, so I had to pay...
1: That $6 fee twice on top of that. So I think in particular Ticketek do that for the, the finals of... I, the I the fuck what Ticketek do. I'm it. just saying, it's bloody I'm, shit. I'm just saying Ticketek do that, especially for the Melbourne Victory Cup finals because they don't want to flood the uh, the terraces. It's a stupid idea, okay? uh, I um, um, agree. That's, me... that's why it's there. Can I just suggest... I think you guys are looking
3: at the micro detail here and it's kind of blinding you from the, the obvious argument here and that is the disgraceful price gouging that goes yeah. on in Melbourne. And this is not an isolated incident. If we go back to the grand final, regardless of whether that game was at Eddie Etihad or at Amy Park, the FFA look at the Melbourne market as its golden ticket. It's yep. its cash cow. And it's an absolute disgrace. Yes. I'll go on record. I don't care who I piss off with this one, that last year's ticket prices in Adelaide for the same competition, the most expensive ticket... In Adelaide last year Was the cheapest ticket in yeah. Melbourne this year Now there is no excuse for that And for too long Melbourne has been propping up the league Both in attendances In uh, TV ratings Every every metric that the AFL yeah. wants to apply to it And, and the people that are left footing the bill Are the Melbourne fans Now we're a loyal supporter group We've got the most members We, we deliver the biggest crowds uh, We love our club and we'll come out and, and a lot of people will pay anything for it But Jase I'm with you I didn't go Hmm. And I didn't go out of principle. Well, I did have plenty of work and I was up to 11 o'clock working. But regardless of the work, I could have got out of work and I could have gone to see my club win a cup. And I decided not to. Enough is enough. Are you I mean, the you amount don't of want money, to pay the
2: Melbourne tax.
3: It, it, it it's is, a Melbourne tax. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I pulled out uh, at the grand final and paid the an exorbitant amount to go to the, the grand final. Mm-hmm. I didn't get subsidised tickets for that. They're straight out of my own pocket. Yep. It's a grand final. I wore it. I wasn't happy about the ticket prices in the grand final. But for the Cup, there's no way. I mean, that is just... And, and the FFA themselves will look at the result. The fir, the, I was going to say the first thing I want to say. It's actually not the first thing. It's about the third fourth thing I want to say about it. <laughs> the, the, one of the, the major things I wanted to say was, where are we at with football in Australia that we're sitting back with a plus 15,000 crowd... And it's been considered as a big disaster.
2: Yeah, good
3: comment. I mean, you look back over the years, and we're sitting here, and it's all doom and gloom because we've got fifteen thousand cup final. And seriously, I mean, I've been to Australia games at Olympic Park with
2: less than six thousand people. So yeah, uh, I, I it's think more about it's... the lost opportunity though in this oh, particular absolutely, instance, absolutely. Yeah, and absolutely. the absolute and fudging of this whole matchday experience and,
4: and, and ticket sales,
2: it, all that. A Saturday night with no competition. No competition. I mean, yeah. it
3: was it was in terms of the the, the timing of the game. All the ingredients were there. Melbourne Victory hosting, you know, for the first. I mean, the other thing is we've had very few home cup ties.
1: Exactly right. Uh, we're, we're
3: screaming out for them. We've had two a year year and a half in two years. But yeah. you could also say that the Melbourne public's not used to going to cup matches because mm-hmm. we don't get fixtureed match, matches. But yeah. in saying that, all the ingredients were there for a bumper crowd, and the FFA have dropped the ball in their blind desire to milk the Melbourne market of money. And, it, it, and I'm glad it's come back
1: to bite them. Yeah, it's awesome. Exactly right, and. Funnily enough, they were, they, were, they were already members of the week before they um, they spurted out the line. They, were, they thought 15000 was a success, and they thought... <laughs> they, they, it was printed in The Age, I think, maybe today or yesterday. They believed that was a success. success. They believed that the ticket prices were right. I, I'm assuming that's just PR spin, but the fact that they're not acknowledging their mistake just makes it all, all more of an insult for us.
2: This has become an all-too-common uh, thing with the FFA in recent years, this constant PR spin that a lot of things get, you know, get subsumed by. I, I'm, I'd am i rather see an organisation that, you know, puts its hand up and say, you know, sorry, Melbourne, you know, we, we got this one wrong. Um, we'll take it into consideration for next year. And, you know, if you happen to be hosts again, we'll, we'll look at it a better way. We'll, we'll consult. We'll engage with you and ask you what you think. There's not enough of that going on.
3: Well, there's an easy solution. They should have held it in Perth who claimed oh God, they the a got... stadium based on <laughs> the fact that they deserve
1: it. Yeah, exactly. I was yeah, having a chat with the CEO, or having a having a bit of a back and forth, the Nick CEO Strange. of Perth Glory on, on Twitter, and he said, well, we should have had it. I said, why, why do you think you should have had the, the FFA Cup? And they go, well, we, did, we deserve it. There was no real reasoning behind because that. Because
2: they made the final last they year. They the final last that year. somehow has, carries any weight. doesn't carry any weight. Exactly well, right. It doesn't you go... carry any metrics.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so the FFA... Uh, This is probably not the first time you'll get that Mm. that dishonour this year. You are members of the week. segment is brought to you by the LIT services. Now, Pete from the LIT services was too lazy to get a, a write-up about his company to us before, <laughs> before recording. So I'll just rehash last week's story. If you are ever in uh, trouble and you've uh, you've been called into the principal's office with a porn scandal and you need some IT help, just give Pete down at the LIT services a call on one 800 843 He'll do some call-outs and he'll uh, he'll get you out of that, that pickle. So Give the RRT services a call on one 843 695 Now, we're at MelbourneVitry.net, as we've reiterated over and over. We're all about education, the education of fans, whether it be North End or South End. But this week, we've got a special guest, as we know, Tony Ising, uh, who we spoke about last week, was one of the, the brains behind the whole founding of Victory and how they all got up, how it all got up and uh, you know how we appreciate Victory these days. He's part of the reason. We wanted to um, to speak with Tony about the beginnings of the victory and how it all started. So, Tony, where, where does it start for the victory? Oh, before we get into that, I mean, there's more important issues at stake, and that is
3: <laughs> the wonderful list of sponsors that you've accumulated for this podcast. <laughs> uh, both of your major sponsors I've been fortunate enough to have used in the past are uh, the the Our IT services, the uh, IT services actually give a... You yeah, had porn issue, did you? Uh, uh, no, nah, <laughs> I, um, I, I heard that if you threaten a journalist's son, he can actually help you cover up your uh, internet history tracks and uh, you know, hide your IP address and all that sort of stuff. So so IT services through our IT are great. The other one yeah, is Ambrosia cool. Floral Designs. Cannot speak highly enough of Leanne and the crew at Ambrosia, who I've used for some corporate events and have also got me out of a couple of tough pickles with the wife on um, anniversaries <laughs> and things like that. So
1: give Ambrosia a call. Your sponsors, they're all top notch. Well, geez, a what better testimonials can you get out, wow. of, uh, out of a guest? Uh, I guess we will go back to how I met you, actually. I, I I think I know you through the Melbourne Victory Forum as a 16-year-old kid. There used to be the Ask Tony Ising... <laughs> Um, section on the forum where what was your role back then communications manager of the yeah. victory yeah media and communications manager at that point and you come on it every Tuesday and, and answer questions I think yeah that's how you I, know I knew those were
2: heady days and up
1: until up until last month I think you, you thought I was a person named Ryan so <laughs> it's good that we finally know each other I've known you for about 10 years and you've known me for about a month but it's uh, it's good that we finally know each other how did you meet uh, Tony Dave well um, it actually
2: stretches back before the A League we bumped heads quite a bit on uh, the old World Game Forum. This was sort of, you know, from the early 2000s, if memory serves, late 90s, and of course I didn't actually know who Tony was back then, you know, we are all on forum forum monikers and whatnot, and um, then we actually finally crossed paths, you know, I think early Season 2, and figured out who we were. Um, you can correct correct me at any stage, Tony, if that's appropriate, but... Um, it was uh, quite an interesting thing because we locked horns over the whole A-League uh, process back in those early 2000s where we had probably different visions about where the A-League should be and um, obviously we supported different uh, franchises, if you like. I was, as I mentioned back in episode one of For fuck's Sake, uh, I had my sort of uh, eggs in the uh, Melbourne United basket and, of course, Tony was a key player in the... Melbourne Victory uh, ticket back in those days and yeah we crossed paths you know pretty early on and uh, since then playing on the same indoor team and uh, yeah we've gotten to know each other fairly well.
1: Yeah so as I said for those that don't know who Tony Ising is he was part of the, the, uh, the winning ticket for the, uh, the Melbourne A-League franchise uh, that was subsequently named the Melbourne Victory. How did it all start Tony? Well, depending on who you talk to, uh,
4: it's all
3: Jeff Lord's <laughs> doing, and, and I think that that's probably my appearance on this podcast uh, is a, is derivative from Jeff Lord nominating himself for the, the Melbourne Award and uh, speaking in glowing terms about his role in venting Melbourne Victory, um, and, and it just reminds me of one, one of my favourite quotes, and that is, "Success has a thousand fathers, but failure is a bastard." Mm-hmm. and I think that the, the true testimony to the success of Melbourne because how many people want to put their hands up and take credit for it and and a lot of people think I get pissed off with that I just take great pride in that that, that everybody along the train I mean, you know we, we had a victory business luncheon, I and it was the grand final luncheon last year uh, where the chairman got up and, and listed off a whole reel of board members who didn't even come on the board until the second year as being the pioneers of the yeah. club, so so I, as much as I respect all the board members and everybody that's had a role throughout, um, you know, it was uh, not it's not necessarily the case. People will take credit for it, um, but I think that's a, a sign of the great success of the club. In saying that, if Melbourne Victory was a complete failure, there'd only be one person yeah. to be pointing the finger at, and <laughs> it would not be Jeff Lord, it would not be Mario Byers and it wouldn't be Anthony Petro. It'd be me sitting out on my own with people laughing at me saying, you're a joke, and what a stupid idea that was. So I, I, I think that if you really want to figure out where Melbourne Midrick came from, it's to figure out who would have got the blame if it failed, not who would have got the success, the credit if it succeeded.
1: So from my kind of initial ideas, it, it originated from the Carlton Soccer Club, is that correct? Is that kind of where it got its origin, origins from?
3: Yeah, look. Loosely, I mean, my, my history with Australian football goes back to South Melbourne. Uh, I was always to, to, give you, to cut a short story long. I was always <laughs> fascinated with minor sports. My sport of choice was baseball. You know, I, I always thought that I'd be a major league pitcher, and you know, I, I played in Australian championships as a junior, and that was I loved the sport. Didn't grow tall enough to be a major league pitcher, um, and just just don't have the physical attributes really. Uh, but as I got older soccer became more dominant in my life I, I love the sport the thing that I love most about soccer is the global nature of the sport I've got an yeah. Italian wife I grew up at university with Greek mates in high school it was a very Greek dominated school as well so I grew up I actually played um, Joe Palisades who I think is uh, one of the coaches I might be Melbourne Melbourne he was one of yeah. the coaches in the Melbourne city uh, setup. Um, Joe went to my school you know, I used to love playing soccer and the the way that I was exposed to different cultures and not just that, the, the bogan footy cricket culture. So I love the sport um, and started following South Melbourne uh, in, the, in the 1980s. Um, Dougie Brown, Oscar Crino, all these guys were all, all heroes of mine. Um, but as I got older, I just thought there was more potential for the game than mono-ethnic social clubs. And that, that's no disrespect to mm-hmm. think social clubs. They, they had their place. They probably still have their place in gr- grand scheme. In the small yeah. communities, yeah. But as far, for me, the frustration was, and I thought about this today, you look at Amy Park, Eddie Etihad Stadium, these big stadiums that we played at, remember in the NSL days, we couldn't even play at Olympic Park. Olympic Park was a part-time venue for when South Melbourne moved from the the Tin Shed shed into the New Bobcatel. You know, we couldn't fill the old Olympic Park in the NSL. So I I really think that um, I was driven by that stage with a view for something better. Lou Sticker also shared that view. He wanted more for the game, and he still does. So he went out and set up Carlton Soccer Club. So I hitched my wagon on Carlton because of the fully uh, full-time professional nature of the club and you know, the vision that Lou had for trying to better the sport, you know, the Nike uniforms, the Palmer, that sponsorship, you know, trying to take Coaching the to all you. the best players Coaching back in those days. Archer yeah. Thompson,
1: of course, a yeah. notable forward
3: player. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I, I, was, I, was a, I bought into that grand vision of Lou's, but there were some barriers to entry. I, I think that a team called Carlton in an AFL town was never going to work. Mm-hmm. So originally, going back to your original point, Melbourne Victory started off as a rebrand for Carlton. I actually took it to Lou and said, Lou... Let's ditch the Carlton name and re, relaunch Carlton as Melbourne Victory. And Lou didn't like the name. Now he's quite open with saying that now. He, you know, he goes, oh, geez, I, I, I didn't like it at the time. So, Victory
1: was your idea? The name Victory was your idea?
3: Well, I think it is. Yeah. Um, there's a guy called Paris there's, who he, was on a footy calf Yeah,
2: he lives around the corner from me.
3: Yeah, a, a <laughs> lovely guy. I love Paris. A terrific he, 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 He's a, a really nice guy. I actually think in retrospect he might have even come up with the name
1: himself. Honestly, do you and know the reasoning behind the uh, the name Victory? I guess there's a there's a few well, yeah, quotations right. of Victory and stuff like that. But no, absolutely. It's, a, it's a big kind of decision to name something as as kind of unique as Victory, and that 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 was very that was key. And I think that
3: there's two things. The first one, and and I'm a marketing guy. And I'm a marketing guy that doesn't like things that are obvious and literal. Mm-hmm. So that whole victory plays on notions of success mm-hmm. but refers to Victoria as the, the geographic and centre. the v for
2: victory as
3: well, which yeah. is symbolic as well. A- absolutely. And you know, if we want to talk more marketing parlance, the whole, the whole strategy behind Melbourne Victory was quite a, it, People think it was radical, but it's not. It's actually a very conservative strategy. It's pitched at the very base level of Victorians who all follow that Big V. And the AFL didn't want it. The AFL, with the national competition, ditched the Big V and just left it it sitting there for us to exploit. They didn't want it. I'll take it. And it's proven to be a masterstroke, a success. Um, The other thing was, um, I think it was Gary Bloom, one of the English commentators. During the Confederations Cup, there was a player... It might have been Ernie Tappay or someone, I don't know who it was. Clayton Zane? Possibly, but it was a player in the Socceroos that played for Perth Glory. And I remember Gary Bloom saying, and uh, oncoming for Australia is uh, Ernie Tapper, who plays for the splendidly named Perth Glory. <laughs> and it got the like, coverage. Yeah. Like Perth Glory. And Perth Glory had an original name that wasn't named after an animal or, you know, something like that. FC or United.
2: Or yeah, one of the standard names.
3: Yeah. So I was driven by that, that there was... You know, in trying something different, you can always you can always succeed more by trying something different rather than just going down the the standard path. So that's that's where the name came from. It's all about references to uh, the parochialism of Victorians. And, and look, it's it's proven to be the case. I mean, I used to have people, not not so much these days, but when Melbourne Victory started, people were throwing themselves at me on the street saying, oh, I love the big V, you know, I don't even like soccer, but I follow the victory. (laughs) And and look, look at Jeff Lord. Yeah. I Melbourne Victory got sponsorship, got essentially the investment dollars because we presented the big V to Jeff Lord and he creamed himself. I mean, really, if, if he had gone to Jeff and Jeff was approached a few years earlier with a, a soccer bid that he entertained but didn't proceed with. So it wasn't the first time someone had hit him up for money for soccer but that whole Victory brand resonated with Jeff and he saw the potential that going out to a Victorian sports public and, and we pride ourselves being the, the world's sports capital Melbourne victory mm. hits that on the head. So that that's one of the major reasons for our success.
2: Fantastic. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm also curious to know about, uh, you know, the early days in your role and and Jason touched on it with your Ask Tony thread. And we want to relate this a little bit back to active supporters, but you actually had, you know, you were going into bat for active supporters a lot in the early days and probably a lot of people wouldn't recall uh, some of the battles you had to face back in those days?
3: Look, this is, this is a, a topic that's, that's difficult for me because it's a great source of frustration. You've got certain quarters in the supporter um, sections that think that I'm the devil incarnate when it comes to... <laughs> yeah, I see that
1: quite often on social media. You know? Yeah, it, it's
3: like... But then you've got the FFA, and the FFA think that I'm the devil incarnate because they think that I'm pro flair and I'm responsible for the, the hooligan menace in Melbourne. So... Yeah. I straddle both sides of the fence. so I'm a very liberal operator. I can see I can see great shades of grey, not just black and white. And 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 it frustrates me because the the very notion of Melbourne Victory was born from my desire to see the sport thrive. And one of the great selling points of the game is the spectators as the active participants, not just passive observers. Yeah. And from day one, when we pitched Melbourne Victory to investors, we pitched that active participation, and that's what got Glenn Wheatley over the line. When we pitched Glenn Wheatley, before Jeff Lord came on board, Glenn Wheatley was all about, oh, look, I love going to the English games. I've been over there to England and the crowd gets into it and they're as much a part of the action as Mm. the players. So I think the thing that disappoints me most over the journey is the way that active support has been hijacked and on both sides of the fence. I think that there are some elements within the supporter group that have really made it difficult for everybody. But from the police, the stadia, club, administration, FFA, you know, they've not understood the, the, the best elements of it. So, so you end up in this sort of you know, nowhere land where the best of active support is jettisoned because the worst of active support, where there are certain supporter sections agitating for that, are spoiling it for everybody. So what's going to end up happening is we're all going to have to sit down and shut up at some stage.
1: Yeah, I there's something as being we're both mates, Dave and I, with people in the North Terrace who we'll are probably agitators as well. And we, yeah. we struggle with that. We, we want the best for the club, but also we know that the people we know are kind of setting it back as well. I think
2: we've like... made a fair amount of progress um, in some respects, in some quarters. You know, I think we're, we're in a different place now than we were when, you know, people thought streamers were projectiles and you couldn't have a drum. So yeah, yeah. Things, things have changed mm. a little bit. But there's still a, a deep lack of understanding and it doesn't help that there's resentment in some quarters of Australian public life towards football. And we saw that quite graphically last week with all this talk about Western Sydney fans being quote-unquote grubs. You know? We're talking about people in positions of power making such... Outlandish statements. You
3: know. look, look, those statements are outlandish, but you look at the behaviour of some of the RBB and you look at some of the behaviour of your groups like Warrior and the rest it's a of small, it. Small, small, yeah. small portion of people. If yeah. you look at groups that deliberately set out in pitch battles, pre-game and post-game, and anyone that says this doesn't happen is being disingenuous. If you look at the vision from the, the Sydney versus Melbourne... Um, scuffle in Little Bourke Street, <laughs> or whatever that was—the West Sydney one. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's ugly. It's ugly and yeah. it's premeditated. And the fact that there are supporter groups out there that say we are—we're we, not criminals. We are innocent when they're clearly engaging in criminal behaviour, which brings the entire supporter population into disrepute. Now, if you're a stadium, and I'll go back to season two or whatever it was with the the moshing on level three. You know the likes of your tin foil hat wearers, like Indio and all these sorts of blokes, who think that the police are coming out to be the fun police and spoil everyone's fun and, and just crush active support. Mm-hmm. There were people moshing up on level three, and the police were fearing that someone's going to fall off level three and kill themselves. Now, a statement went out that we wanted people not to go on level three, not to, to jump up and down. And and this is what frustrates me. The thing that frustrates me the most is the puerile pedantry of some of the supporter groups and the semantics that they play. So the the argument was, I can go to a concert at Eddie Head Stadium and I can stand up on level three, but they won't let me do it at the soccer. It's like, yeah, but you don't have 300 people smashing into each other like a a, a quasi-mosh pit. It was dangerous behaviour that provoked a police response and the reaction to that from fans is to say, oh, we are being persecuted. Well, look, there was no conspiracy there at all, but the tinfoil hat wearers want to portray that to the rest of their supporter group, give an inaccurate representation of the supporters. And and really the relationship between Etihad Stadium and supporters was sabotaged by a few people who were given the privilege to be involved with discussions with police and the stadium so they could justify their decisions and then completely pissed all over it. So I think that anyone sitting here in this podcast who's sitting there saying, oh, listen to Isaac taking the support of the the authorities uh, as no, usual. No. I,
2: think, I think generally you have a fair-minded approach to it, but I guess when it comes to that particular issue, you know, the, we're, we're never going to get full agreement on, on all well, of I'll that. Well, I'll just say
4: that
1: as well. I've, we've put it out on to a few people in the terrace to come on. Um, if if yeah. anyone who is in the know and they want to talk about this stuff, come on here and, I guess, get your kind of view as well out there because we, we want to get a whole rounded view of, of you know, both sides of the fence here, I guess.
2: So we, we've just touched on it pretty controversial topic with some of the fan-related stuff. We digressed a little bit. (laughs) But I want to to talk another controversial topic, and
1: I want to talk about your exile from the club, mate. Um, Well, actually, before before we we, we get on that, I just wanted to kind of get your first season impressions as well. I'm just having a look here at the stats. Um, 14,000 average attendance, but second last on the table. What were your impressions, I guess, being someone who created this club, um, about the future after season
3: one? I was, I was on an SBS radio show after season one with Walter Bugno who was the chairman of Sydney, Sydney and yeah. there were a couple of other uh, club CEOs, and um, I don't know whether the media manager from Melbourne Beach was on the show, but I was probably the only one at the club that was you know, willing to talk to the media. We were, we were a bit of a close shot, probably still are a little bit. Um, but it, in that interview, I actually said after the first season, we were really happy with where we were. We yeah. set out a club culture. Yeah. And this is Ernie Merrick and Gary Cole especially and and Jeff Lord. We were blessed at the time by people who shared the same philosophy and vision for the club. And that was to build a club that was a Victorian flavour using local players, young local players. We had the youngest average age in the entire A-League in the first season. Mm -hmm. And Ernie Merrick came out and he actually took me aside after we beat Sydney 5-0. And that took us to the top of the table in round eight in 2005. And, And Ernie took me aside. He said, Tony, you're probably over the moon with that result. He said, look, just to let you know, that that's it's not going to last. He said, we will be inconsistent. A, a, a team as young as ours will not be able to put those results back to back. Um, and he, he was proven quite prophetic. Um, but at the end of the season, we looked back and we built a solid base. And my favourite moment out of season one was at Olympic Park. And I think we, it was either a, a Brisbane or a, an Adelaide game. Walking out of the stadium... We'd had three home games in a row where we hadn't scored a goal. We'd lost or drawn a combination of those three games. Yep. And you'd think that the supporters would be over it and not come back. But the overwhelming comment from people that were leaving the grand was, we got robbed. You know, We dominated that <laughs> game. Yep. And, you know The ref robbed us yep. so or Adelaide were a bunch of bastards or whatever. And it really galvanised the supporters behind the club. And you can't enjoy success unless you taste some sort of adversity. And we did in the first season. Now, Sydney, who went and broke the salary cap in season one deliberately yeah. to win the first title, only had one way to go, and that was down. They couldn't they couldn't go up again, they couldn't win more than they won the first season. Yeah. So in their blind rush for success on field, they actually they sacrificed their culture. Uh, they did damage to the yep. league and the club in terms of the salary cap breaches and all the rest of it. Whereas Melbourne Victory, we were very We were convinced we were doing it the right way. And if you look retrospect now, absolutely, we're vindicated now with the approach we took this year. So that first season was tough medicine. No one liked finishing second last on the table. But the ingredients were there for long-term success. And you go back through all of Jeff Lord's speeches in that first season. He said, we want to build this club for success, not buy success immediately.
1: So then season two, you went from 14,000 in season one as an average crowd to 27,728, essentially almost double. Uh, I would attribute that to the World Cup success. Was, was there anything else that you'd attribute that to or was it just, just the World Cup, people backing oh, off that kind of success? No, I attribute it to me.
3: No, it's attributable to the venue. Uh, Olympic Park doesn't fit that many people. Um, And I remember the words of Jeff Miles when he came on board as CEO in the second season. He was quite firm. He said, if we save Olympic Park, we will sell out every game. And and even I didn't believe him at the time. But the juggernaut had started. The juggernaut was well on the way. So... If you look at that first season, Sydney and Brisbane, at the time, Queensland, they both beat us in crowd averages. We finished third in crowd averages. Mm. But that was only because we couldn't, literally couldn't fit any more people into Liberty
2: Park. Well, there so, were people waiting out, outside.
3: Well, you look at the Sydney, yeah. Sydney game, the 5-0. I mean, it we was sold out 24 hours in advance, which was the first time it ever happened in Australian football. So yeah. so I think that, that the, the indication is probably membership. I think if you look at the first season, I think we had 7,000 members first season. 2,000 of those were free kids members. The following season, I think we doubled it to about 14,000. By season three, we had over 20,000. So they're mm. huge numbers. They're huge numbers of growth. and it really, One of my favourite board members was Ron Peck. When we started the club, we were talking about membership projections. We, to break even, and this is some stuff that you know, people don't know, we needed to get 11,000 people at Olympic Park to break even. And these that's are numbers that people huge, won't yeah. talk about. They won't talk about the commercial. But this is a, yeah, you know, this is a
1: fuck cast. You know, we can talk about whatever we want. Yeah, yeah, of course. So the, the break-even number was eleven thousand in, in season one. Season one. So that's quite interesting because I wouldn't have even thought the A League would project crowd numbers for that. Well, 11, and this 000, is the thing. Yeah. Even
3: you go back to those
1: days and you look at, you look
3: at what the projections were. I mean, Les Murray wrote an article saying that Melbourne Pitcher will be like to draw four thousand. That'd be the basket case of the league. And we're going to stay in negotiations. We made the decision to go to Olympic Park as a risk minimisation. We could have made a lot more by going to Etihad Stadium first year, knowing how well things went for us. The other thing is you go to a smaller stadium and you restrict the supply. There's a greater demand on the supply. So you get into your marketing, you know, you know, KPIs, metrics, all the rest of it. <laughs> um, starting off at Olympic Park worked out really well for us because there was a finite supply. Then we go to Etihad you Stadium. You a buzz. Absolutely. Yeah, and
2: you, you end up wrong. Oh. That game sold out. Must be something going on there. You
3: know? Yeah, and, and I remember I was standing on the bridge when we played Sydney the first time at Eddie Had Stadium or Telstra Dome or whatever, yep. yep. whatever yep. it was. Yep. I stood on that Burke Street bridge with Jack Riley, who was the one of the, yeah. the board members at the time, for the foremost of Subaru. And we just looked at this literal swarm coming across that bridge. And Jack just said, oh, fuck me. <laughs> he, he said, I never thought I would ever see the day. And it, it was. It was just one. It was a very special moment for, to see a, a 1974 soccer group almost in tears at the number of people coming to it Fantastic. and Australian soccer. So yeah, the, the, the numbers speak for themselves.
1: Yeah, so going on to that, so we got 39,000 in that round two match against Sydney and then quickly after that the club renegotiated and then they changed every, every match essentially bar one to Etihad Stadium and it obviously riled up a few fans who, who weren't too happy with that. How, how better was the stadium deal going back into those those days when we were you know, looking at coming to Etihad full-time?
4: Yeah,
1: it's an interesting question, and you
3: know, we're, we're probably a little bit limited for time, but it, it, it touches on a number of elements. And this uh, romantic notion that Victory fans have of painting Etihad as the devil, you got an MOPT, Melbourne Olympic Parks Trust, who own Olympic Park. So these guys were as anti-football As Mm -hmm. Ian Collins was. I mean, one of our major issues at Olympic Park was the running track. Mm -hmm. Why? Because the last soccer game that was played at Olympic Park was South Melbourne versus Carlton. And the fans threw the flares on the Olympic Park running track, which they had just resurfaced to the tune of a million dollars. It cost them an absolute fortune to fix the damage that those flares created. So when we went to Olympic Park, they're like, we don't want... You crazy, wild right. crowds, with the crazy <laughs> flares, all the rest of it, to the point where it might have been the first game we played at Olympic Park. I don't, I don't think anybody knows this story. Uh, one, well, of the, exclusive. one of the uh, exclusive to the to the broadcast. Yeah. One of the managers at Olympic Park at the time uh, called me up yep. on my mobile first game. and Said Tony, I need to I need to see you at the entrance yep. gate. I went over to see him, and he said, Tony, look what I found. This is what our security guys have picked up from people coming in. And I looked. He said, one of them was a, a pocket knife, like a Swiss Army knife, and the other one was a screwdriver. And they were horrified. It's like, mate, no one's bringing them in as weapons, but their immediate reaction was someone's brought in a pocket knife as a weapon or someone's brought in a screwdriver, obviously a tradie or something that's come from work, <laughs> and they've said, oh, look, look, at, look at this hooligan element. Geez. The whole notion that, Emma, that Olympic Park is friendly towards active fans more so than Eddie had is just a complete furphy. So I, I think that in terms of the stadium decisions, in terms of painting Eddie had out to be the enemy and all that sort of stuff, I, I do think that supporters need to be a little bit more rational in, in those sorts of discussions. And, and it's, a, it's a bit interesting that, you know, Olympic Park's no
2: active supporter mecca. and It never was. It's an interesting time that we kind of, you know, see a club like Melbourne Victory... Grow the way it has, um, in a context of a country that you know doesn't have that many, you know, purpose-built stadia for football. You know, and we see Brisbane Roar struggling right now, and you know, with with SunCorp and things like that. So, to to have ended up getting, you know, we can we can probably look at seasons one and two, um, and perhaps even three as being one of the core reasons why, Amy Park was built. Oh, no doubt. There's no doubt about that. Now, Tony, we've talked a little bit about some of the good times and some of the bad times, but tell us a little bit about your, your exile. Well, interesting question. Dave. <laughs> if you uh, want to you you know, explore it as much as you feel comfortable.
3: I think, I think that there, there's a couple of elements to it. Uh, the first one is Jeff Lord is a previous chairman and president of an AFL club, and AFL clubs enjoy significant media attention. And Jeff Lord, for some reason, always thought we never got enough media. Right. And my direct KPI was getting media coverage because I was the media manager. So the the thing that frustrates me is we generated more media than any football team, soccer team, had ever generated in Melbourne before. We uh, We had exceeded all our projections in terms of crowd figures, in terms of memberships. By every measure... If you looked at yeah. what I did in my role, exceeded every measure. During the victory hour every week
2: with this. Yeah, we, we did all that. that. There was a
3: lot of um, oh, we were, newspaper coverage. We too. were front page of the Melbourne magazine in The Age, uh, which uh, the, the publicist for Melbourne Storm, uh, Raul, me one day and said, I've never been able to get on the front cover. How did you do that? <laughs> um, we, we were kicking ass all over the place. And, and the media attention that we got, and I've got the clippings at home, um, you know, back page, front page, you name it. So mm-hmm. there was, I think there was an unrealistic expectation from Jeff in terms of what we could achieve in terms of media. But I think the main reason, I think, and it's never been fully explained to me, I mean, I left on pretty good terms. Um, I, don't, I don't think I ran over anybody's dog or anything like that. <laughs> um, but I was a very highly paid media manager. So my role in forming the club, I'd negotiated a, a wage... I was getting paid a pretty good wage. The rest of the the league were paying you know kids to be their media managers. You right. know half of what I was I was on. So, getting
2: on Twitter and uh,
3: talking sweet nothing. Well, well, there was none of that back in those days. <laughs> um, there was the forum, and 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 really, I mean, part of it was my communication with the, with the fans, and then another reason for my demise was uh, um, I think there was a, a disconnect between the the philosophy of the league and what it wanted to be, and the the accountants that administer the league. So all the PR and marketing agencies Mm -hmm. wanted the league to be irreverent and to be, you know, a bit cutting edge. You know, if you look at the the forum and some of my communications on the forum, they were quite informal. They were speaking to fans on the fans' level. Very grassroots, yeah. Um, You know, the name the the fucker thread (laughs) uh, was one of the reasons for my demise. But the other thing was one of my favourite... Headlines of all time. I remember when uh, in the first season Ernie Merrick tried to sign a Brazilian player. This is before we got the trio from Rio in season yeah. two. We tried to get a Brazilian player through Steve Panopoulos, who was the Brazilian the Brazilian agent. agent. Yeah, yeah. And it fell through, and Ernie was was furious. He thought that he'd had someone lined up, and it fell through. He was furious. He did a media conference when his his fury was quite evident. And I sent out a media release saying Merrick waxes lyrical over Brazilian cloche. <laughs> <laughs> which is just the greatest headline I've ever come up with. And that that coincided with Harvey Silver, who did some media for us as yes. well. He put out an article on the same day about Richard Kitzbichler, and the, the headline was, The Bish is Back. <laughs> so both of those things in isolation might have been okay, but when we both put them out together, the FFA said, hang on, something's not going right in the no, which we've taken a piece. piss. Interestingly, that... Um, the FFA's own media partner the following week did an interview with Fernando Resch from Adelaide and the title was Resch Waxes Lyrical. Oh. So they'd actually stolen <laughs> our headlines. So, so there are a couple of things in terms of the, the philosophy, in terms of the, the, um, the communication with fans on their level. And remember, social media, uh, forums, all that sort of stuff was quite new back then. Now yeah. clubs have got spe- specific social media managers and all the rest of it. But I think clubs were scared of that level of, um, of I- integration. My argument at the time was that historically companies, organisations, sporting clubs, would kill for the level of interaction that we've got these days. We need to develop ways that we can communicate with our fans using new media. And I just think we're a bit backward on that. And I was probably a little bit too progressive in my dealings with it. So there's probably there's probably a little bit from column A, B, C and D, yeah. all of that.
2: Well, it's a very, very diplomatic response, mate. <laughs> um, look, one last final thought from you, Tony, and then we'll uh, move on to talk about our next segment. Um could you have possibly imagined that this club would have succeeded in the way it has after 10 or 11 years, where we are now, with 27,000 members and, you know, all the trophies and everything? Yeah,
3: that's a very good question. It's a question that's not often asked, interestingly enough. It sounds like an obvious question, but it's not often asked and it's not something that I reflect on too often, except to say that I'm just immensely proud and humbled at where this club is today and the journey that it's taken. Um, I always said at the time when I was pitching the club around town, I always said, I don't care if anybody else supports, I just want a team for me to support. And I've got that now. I've got that Mm. team that... Um, aside from the thickness of the V and the design of the shirt that I wear, infuriates me every year. Um, aside from that, aside from you know certain people involved, aside from signing Barisha, though I don't like Barisha, all those sorts of things, and getting frustrated in, in games that we play, I'm immensely proud of the club, of the team. But more than that, I'm most proud of the way that this city has embraced this club. And my pitch was always to be the sports capital of the world. We need to embrace the biggest sport in the world. And I just feel so humbled that I've been able to deliver the missing piece in the sporting landscape for Melbourne. Um, and, and, look, it, had, it really has exceeded all my wildest dreams. Um, and I think it can go on bigger and better than it actually is today. I think, uh, going back to the Ron Pick example, he used to say, why can't we get 40,000 members? Why can't we have as many members as an AFL club? Yep. Because there's only one of us in town.
2: Fantastic. Thanks very much for that,
0: mate.
4: Something la la
1: this week it's always a big occasion mobilevictory.net will be covering it with Sydney Away week this week this week we'll be covering uh, the pubs and clubs guide of Sydney we'll be doing a little bit of a hotels on the Terrace hopefully and uh, we'll also be previewing, previewing the match I want to get your guys thoughts on your, your greatest Sydney Away moments as a fan not necessarily you know as we mentioned in the other game, not necessarily your your favourite games, you know, 3-2 Melbourne Victory. (laughs) I want to hear the the, the dirty dirty (laughs) stuff. I want to hear the dirty pre-game pub stories. I don't really
2: have many that could probably uh, be considered radio-friendly, mate, but... um... Look, I, I do have fond memories of those early days. You can say fuck,
3: but you can't say a story
1: about a pub. <laughs> you can't say a girl gave me a hand job on a, no. on a dance floor, or a Chinese yeah. laundry can you? Can, you can, I, can I say that? No. Well, you just did. Okay, well, that, was, that was a favourite memory of Sydney away, but go ahead.
2: Um, look, those that recall, you know, the... Oh six, oh seven, oh eight. I think some of those trips were just, you know, Sydney used to be the marquee away trip, and you know, now I think Adelaide's sort of taken the precedence there. But, you know, the bat and ball, um, you know, in the second season really took on a life of its own with with away fans and that march that we always used to have from that pub over to Sydney Football Stadium. When it comes to actual match day experiences, though, I'm sorry to divert into that, but I can't <laughs> help but mention that... Um, at that point you know, in the 2007, you know, I think we were, as a club in terms of our support and where we were going, we were really peaking you know, at this particular time and there's actually a video that I posted uh, from the Twitter account not long ago of the entire Melbourne Victory away end at the Sydney Football Stadium chanting the Ascoli chant. Um, it's one of the largest away crowds you'll probably ever see at the Sydney Football Stadium. I really get goosebumps, you know, watching that watching that video and, and the entire end singing. Yeah, you know, th- those were really uh, the, the glory days of away travel back in those days. And you know, maybe um, the luster has come off from these Sydney trips, maybe because of the entrance of Western Sydney. I don't know, but yeah, you know, it just doesn't have the same appeal that it used to.
1: Yeah, I agree. With that. How about you, Tony? What's uh, any, any favourite memories from the from uh, the trip? Oh, for
3: me, absolutely was that opening game, the opening weekend of the A-League where we were drawn away and just incredible incredible the build-up because it was all about the bling and Dwight York <laughs> and Melbourne was given absolutely no chance. And we went up there and on the balance of play, we, were actually, we wiped the floor with Sydney that night and there was palpable disappointment in our team in the change rooms and, and with Ernie Merrick that we didn't get three points that night. We, we dominated the play against all the odds. And the, yeah, that cross from Carl Reckia, shout out to Carl Reckia, <laughs> that world-class cross in the opening game and actually putting away that header. And we surprised a lot of people. That really announced Melbourne Victory as a force. We went about our business quietly while Sydney was all brash and all the rest of it. And we really put them into the place that night. So that opening game was just magic.
2: That's been a real hallmark of Melbourne Victory for a long time. Um, we've lost our way a little bit there. We've talked about those Harakui years, you know. But we've been the sort of club that just gets shit done quietly in the background, goes about its business and lets the football do the talking.
3: Yeah, look, from the very early stages of the club, it was all about building credibility. I think yeah. the one thing that, that the A-League needed to deliver as a point of difference from the NSL, it needed to be a credible product. And Sydney, from the, ver- the very inception of that club, all the, the lead-up to them getting the licence, it was a bit of a circus. We, we didn't go through the, the bid process in public. Uh, I remember going up to Sydney when they announced the lineup of the league. They, they, they announced the, the, the launch of the a League. And the journalists from Melbourne, Michael Lynch and Peter Dezeer at the time, they, they didn't know who I was. They, they didn't know who was behind the bid because we did it all in secret because it was all about getting the, the foundations right and delivering credibility, and I think... That, that philosophy flowed through the football department as well. And and that, that's where you see. And, and that opening weekend was you know, the, the, the chance for us to say, this is what we've been working on and this is what we've delivered. It was fantastic.
1: Yeah, good. Getting on to the game. Um, well, we're running over time, so we want, we want to do this quickly. I just want to bring up a point. We're missing a lot of players this week through, um, yes. through this, the jun- yeah, junior... uh Olly Ruth, Olly junior. yeah. Uh, we're missing what? Gallifoco,
2: okay. Payne... Uh, Garia, Galloway, uh, and, and obviously Anthony Thompson still injured. In addition to
1: that, we're also missing Valeria through a red card, and Barbarausis will probably be touch and go. He he'll probably he'll be on, yeah. he'll be in the squad, but not might not be starting. Is this the time we maybe deviate from the front three uh, formation, or we just stick with it and try and make do uh, with who we've got left?
2: I don't think we deviate from the front three so much as we just perhaps take a bit more of a cautious approach. No Valeri will probably mean Mahazi will come in or will push Broxham into midfield. Um, and then perhaps someone like Deng could step in alongside Delpierre. Up front, presuming Barbaroussis is available, it will actually be the same front three with Finkler in behind them. Yeah. So there's nothing lost there. The goal-scoring potential uh, still there. Um, obviously, Valeri is a big loss, um, but... Mahazi or Broxton will step in to fill that
1: Right. So quick predictions I'm going to say we'll draw this one one, one all. Oh,
2: You beat me, beat me there I'm, I'm pretty sure we're going to get a nil result here It's the first time I've predicted a draw Let's see how that pans out
3: Oh look After the weekend with Brisbane-Sydney And after the last game we played Sydney where they were humiliated 3-0 Sydney will play this game As though it's an away game for them and the way that Sydney play us when they come to Melbourne is to suffocate. Mm. And they're, they're like the dementors of Australian football. They just suck all the joy out of it. Yep. And, and I think we'll find... Uh, look, I can't see any other result than a nil-nil. No. Yeah, it's,
1: it's completely plausible. So that'll do us for Buck's for sake this week. We'll be back on, I'm hoping, Monday night next week. We'll record Sunday and put it out Monday. Uh, Tony, thanks for joining us. I know a lot of the, uh, the stuff you said tonight be controversial and we'll get a fair, fair, few, uh, a fair bit of feedback. But as we said, we, we put it out there to people who want to put their side of the story out there to come on the show and, and put it out there. And Tony's done that, so we thank you, Tony, for doing that tonight.
3: Look, thanks for having me on. I just wanted to give a shout-out to Nadia, who's been a big supporter of the show and got the, the, the crowdfunding of support. Course, yeah. and she's been doing a bit of a, a, she had a couple, tough couple of weeks, and just I just wanted to know she's got
1: the support of the whole Victory community behind her. And we love you, Nadia. Definitely. We love her here as well. Great call, mate. Great. And thanks, Dave, as always. I'll see you next week. Cheers, mate. All right, that's it. Peace out.
0: Hi, I'm Dr. Gamma Verdian from Dental Lounge. Would you like to increase your success, whether it be personal success or career success? Studies have proven that enhancing your smile can enhance your quality of life in every way. I've seen hundreds of patients for porcelain veneers and smile makeovers with amazing results. Simply tap the banner and book your free consultation and I'll be happy to show you. And best of all, ask about our interest-free payment plans. Dental Lounge Macquarie Street. Create success with your smile.